Welcome to the Infernal Schoolhouse Podcast, Explosions and Fire. I'm Brian. And I'm Aaron. And today on the podcast, we're going to do something a little different. I have an idea for a one-shot, and I'm going to workshop it live with Aaron. The goal for me is to have the basic structure down at the end of the show so I can write all of this down and actually run this um, one-shot for my table. And I'm nervous. So Aaron, I know even, you know, just before we start, just to ground us in your Mm -hmm. experience, do you even have a ballpark estimate of how many one shots you think you've run in your career as a game Mm -hmm. master? A lot. Yeah. I would say probably at least 20 to 30 at a minimum. And that's not including West marches with at least six of those, actually eight of those now being at big events. So definitely run a lot of one shots in my time. Yeah, it's interesting to me because I get nervous just inviting three or four people over. And so I can only imagine the pressure that you feel when it's a larger event. Specifically, oh, if, pressure. Yeah. if people are like actually paying money to like get okay. a hotel room and stuff like that. <laughs> Been there, done that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There's definitely a lot of pressure that's attached to it. But uh, I know that as we go through this, we can talk about kind of, I think, how that kind of pushes you in a better direction of creativity and excitement. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of like back to college days where it's like, I need the deadline and I need the pressure in order to actually get it done. So, yeah, exactly. So I'm assuming that you have rules and best practices and things like that. In this format, is it helpful for you to lay those out in advance or do we just sort of like go for it? And then I learn your rules along the way. Sure. We can go over one. And I want to give one to you that I'm not necessarily giving to you as much as I'm to everyone. But in my opinion, I think that one shots should not be run by first time DMs. I know you're not a first time DM, so okay. you don't need to worry about it, but doesn't mean you can't. If you are listening to this and you think, I want to go do a one shot, do one shot. But it is extraordinarily difficult to understand pacing and what you're putting in there versus what you're not putting in there as somebody who's not really run that many games. So I, I think you are doing yourself a disservice. You need to get some time in there. Just run some regular content that you can find uh, either homebrewed or that you bought as part of a supplement. Um, but I would do what you can to not do a one shot right out of the gate. Yeah, that actually resonates with me because the first time I uh, ran a, a module, it was Lost Mine of Fandelver. And all I prepped was the first like little goblin on the ambush. Mm-hmm. And I had no concept of how long that was going to take. And it took maybe 22 minutes. Nice. And so by that time, we were maybe maybe an hour in and everyone was so excited what was next. And I had to tell them like, I don't have anything next. I'm sorry. <laughs> Awkward. I, I think uh, the other thing that's really important with one shots, especially if you're making your own, is to find what excites you and let that be the thing that pushes you forward. Even if it seems silly on paper or in your mind, the reality is that the players are going to vibe off of your enjoyment of whatever you're putting them through because you're gaining some sort of enjoyment from the content that you have. If it's just something you find randomly from a movie or a song or a thought that just pops in your head, go with it, run with it. And that will actually make a one shot more enjoyable and creative. I'm happy to hear you say that because I was slightly embarrassed to tell you at first, but these two minis, uh, Mm -hmm. there's a frost giant mini and a fire giant mini. And these were actually unrelated. I was just painting them. And then I set them next to each other on my magnificent shelf of minis. And I looked at them and I thought, what if those two fell in love? Actually, the original idea was, two friends in a room. What if they kissed? <laughs> you know what I mean? And then right. I was like, wait, that could be fun. But anything involving giants suddenly scared me because 
I don't know why exactly, just maybe the size of the mini compared to the other, you know, normal. Uh, yeah. Well, you know, minis. giants are certainly scary in general as foes in D and D. So yeah. they usually can be, you know, player or party killers. So yeah, exactly. Okay. So that, so I'll just start, you know, and, and then you can quote, sort of just give me some structure here. But the basic idea was the, the backbone of it was it was too unlikely lovers or a love affair or something okay. between a frost giant and a fire giant. The gender of each wasn't important to me. And actually, the, I started to then kind of have this feeling of like, oh, it, gender doesn't even matter. Maybe I don't even assign gender. And then that could just be something that comes out. Okay. So then I was like, okay, but I don't want to just do this in gi one giant land or another. So I thought, mm -hmm. okay, there's a kingdom that is somehow adversely affected by whatever the trouble is. Mm. And so there's a huge, there's human involvement. And so there's a kingdom, maybe a prince or, or somebody like that. But tone wise, what I was thinking was instead of the world's going to end, which I just have so much fatigue with that plot line because sure. every Marvel movie and every action <laughs> movie, the world is always going to end. Oh, yeah. so I thought it would actually be fun and refreshing if the stakes were magnificently low okay. and that the, the, the PCs were just doing it for money or for some other reason. Excellent. So, yeah. yeah so that, so that's kind of like the basic bones of what I have. All right. So I like where you're going with this. And here's what I would say is the first place to go to figure out where we're going next is how does this one shot end? Ah, so in my mind, and I think what I'm doing here, what I've been doing in my mind and why I'm really asking for your help is I think I've been scripting it like a movie. Mm, okay. Where it's like there's a, a to B to C to D and, but I know enough about D and D to know that that's, there's no way the players are going to do that. And so right. it scares me a little bit, but the basic construction is I like the idea of this prince is just generally upset with the way things are going in his kingdom. And mm -hmm. maybe I have this sort of funny idea that maybe the trouble with giants is adversely affecting like real estate prices in his kingdom or something like that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Something where it's sure. like, oh, okay, like that, that feels a little bit more real world to me. Yeah, yeah. But then he's hired this group to try to figure out and calm down the issue with the giants and because they're giants and because I'm looking at these minis and they're massive, I can only imagine how much theoretical damage this frost giant could do with this ax. I thought perhaps I could build in something or incentivize the characters to not use violence. So mm. it's not go kill a giant. And so the idea would be maybe these giants are in love or maybe they're having a lover's quarrel or maybe the parents or the family or the kingdoms of each respective giant are the ones that are causing the problems. Okay. But the idea would be that the, this group would try to get them to fall back in love or try to soften the heart mm. of the father or something like that. And then that's where I started to get really losing touch with the mechanics of D&D or how to guide mm. through that. That's great. I like that. So. I will add a few things in there. One of them is we're going to dive in a little bit, just surface level about giants and then what you can do with that for your story. So second of all, the fire giant is the more dangerous out of the two of them. And the fire giant is actually higher in something that they have in the giant society called the ordaining, which is a caste system. And that goes way back. Giants, one of the oldest creatures in Faerun, they're actually just about as old as dragons. And they even fought dragons for like a thousand years. They're really cool. But they can have kind of a weird sort of thing where they're not really supposed to necessarily act out of their station within the ordining, you know, like 
you wouldn't necessarily want to be with somebody of a lower caste, but it's, it's more impolite than murderous, I would say, to end up in that place. So, but that's not bad necessarily. Okay. Which actually potentially in this context could sort of play into it because just, and, and honestly, one of the, one of the sources for the basic structure was like Romeo and Juliet. Okay. Yeah. And so that actually kind of fits in, right? Like you can't mm -hmm. do this. It is very improper. Yes. And impolite or just disastrous for society if you try to pull this off, which then would provide some motivation for why they would be potentially not allowed. Yeah, I like that. And I, I would say, too, from a standpoint, and we're going to get to this next question in a moment, but I don't I don't want anybody to fight giants, especially for a one shot. One yeah. shots that would push people to a higher player level than you're going to want in a one shot. It makes it too complex and too yeah. time consuming and too invested. So. Let's start with figuring out what level do you actually want this one shot at? I, it feels like level one is way too low mm. because if a giant even accidentally brushed up against them, they would probably deal more damage than that person could handle. You know what I mean? Like, so I, I'd want them to have, be a little bit hardier. So I was thinking maybe three to five or something. Okay. So they just had a, almost just enough hit points to withstand a, an open hand slap from a giant. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and then also from a combat complexity level, it would be nice if they had some cool spells and, you know, ways to evade or disappear or hide or, you know, things like that seems to be, uh, would be appreciated by the players. Okay. That sounds good. I like that. So I think maybe playing off of that, let's make it slightly more complex in the story and let's make it so that the players will have a dilemma. So they're going to get the basic premise ahead of time from the yeah. prince on whatever they're doing. And we'll figure whatever that out is in a minute. Maybe it's an eviction of the giants that they don't even know are giants from wherever they are. And then they're given a moral quandary by meeting the giants that they now have to decide, do we want to turn back against the prince or do we want to continue out doing Ooh, this deed? I like that. Yeah. And the other thing that I think is just funny about what you said, and I'm definitely thinking of more comedic tone for this, right, right. or at least allowing it can for that, be, yeah, for sure. would be like, if you just think about the, the ridiculousness of the ventures are like, okay, we have to go kick somebody out and they're just not told. And so they go to a giant castle and they're like, okay, what? <laughs> right. I like, like that. Yeah. I, I can't, I can't conceive of how this would happen. <laughs> and maybe, maybe it's, it's something silly too, that you find out over time where he wants them evicted from this area. This area is actually pretty holy to the giants. It's probably some sort of temple or vestige from their former civilization of Astoria. And he doesn't know that. And well, maybe he does, but he's ignoring it anyway. It's not until they get there, they find out that he's wanting to build something really garish over the top of it. Yes. I love that. Yeah. Like maybe a, a theme park or yes, Coliseum yes, yes. or something insane, you know? Yeah. And I, and I, I also like the idea of kind of doing a little bit of a meta callback to some of the things that make us cringe in our world, right. which is for me, it's McMansions. Yes. You know, it's like, there's this charming little neighborhood and then suddenly they want to open it up for something. And so then that, that does induce the moral quandary because perhaps the adventurers have already been paid or paid half, or it's an insane amount of money. <laughs> and then they realize that maybe it's not, it's not outright evil, right? But right. it's, it's definitely cringy. And then they, they, I think there would just have to be enough charming or, you know, pulling at the heartstrings on the giant side mm. to, to induce that moral quandary. Cause I do like the idea of the adventures could be like, nope, we're taking the prince out. <laughs> we're <laughs> well, overthrowing this. Yeah. And maybe he's not even like a prince, you know, which would probably have a higher 
level retinue or something. Maybe he's just like a, a local duke or baron or something where it's a little yeah. bit easier to make an assault on whatever his, you know, keep is that he has out there. There you go. Or even, or even it could be revealed like, oh wait, he calls himself a prince. You know, he's not actually a prince. Yeah, he doesn't right? have any landed titles or anything. He just, you know, <laughs> he, some... just, he just calls himself that. <laughs> okay. This, this is helpful from a basic structure idea. I want to back up for just a moment and ask though, um, you had talked about the giant lore in Faerun, which mm -hmm. is the primary setting for Dungeons and Dragons. Right. Is it a foregone conclusion that it takes place in Faerun and that I am using that? And 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 I guess maybe this is just to zoom out a little bit in general, not just for this. But how do you think about saying, oh, my fire giants do X or my frost giants do something else and sure. it's not in that world? And Because I think that gives me a little bit of um, disorientation as well, that question. Yeah, I get that. So I'd say a few things here is that for one, it is your homebrew. One shots are always homebrew. You do what you want with that. So if you feel like you need to change around the rules and structure, everything else, that's cool. The other thing is, especially for a one shot, players don't necessarily care about the lore. The lore is for you. The lore is for you to understand how to be the world. Just like Emmy always says that we are the world, right? It's the understanding of, you know, what the, the core dilemma is between giants or the history of the world, but the players don't necessarily need to know it. They can get certainly a glimpse of it. But that really only comes into a bigger effect when it, you deal with a, a full-time campaign, right? Uh, okay. Yeah, that's helpful that you said that. Because now what I'm thinking is, why on earth would I invent all this lore for something mm -hmm. that my players may not actually care about when I actually have the monster manual over there on my shelf, which would give me enough mm -hmm. so that I can just play it off and not that the players would even discover it, but just so like internal logic in my game would work out. Right. Agreed. That's yeah, helpful. I Thank you. And, and maybe there's like an offering of different things, you know, like not just that they're getting offered money, but like, for example, the fire giants are essentially the dwarves of the giant kingdom. They are the ones who make, make really stuff. insane stuff underground. They're hardy and they're warriors. And they just, they literally will go and destroy a town just for the sake of trying out a weapon. So they're, they're pretty crazy. And, but th that could be one of those things where like these, these two giants are going against type and they've probably been thrown out of their respective societies so they're just trying to run away to some little lover's nest that's in an old part of Astoria that's no longer habited okay so i love that what you just said and that really resonated with me maybe the giants are gone maybe the lovers are gone mm -hmm. yeah. and maybe the mission is uh, at first it's just fix the problem with the giants like maybe the the two camps are warring right um and they're each blaming each other for the disappearance and maybe the quest is simply just to find them that's good. Yeah. You know, or, you know, via one uh, group or the other, but that ends up being what's actually happening is they're gone. Mm -hmm. And so then, you know, the pursuit of them ends up being, you know, what they in the real world will actually have to accomplish. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's true. I think, though, that if you are going that route, uh, you're changing up your one shot from this more, I guess, campy-ish sort of what do we do between these two parties? And then it's becoming more of a tracker mystery uh, sort of thing. So, okay, so if I did that, I'd have to keep it really simple. Like, the, oh, they're yes. just over there. Yeah, <laughs> it's not. It's not that. It's not going to take hey. an hour and a half. It's like five five minutes later. You know, just jump cut and you just you yeah, it. you just see a head over the pine trees <laughs> or something. Oh, there he is. <laughs> or even just like they're they're camping on the first night, and suddenly just two giants walk up holding hands and like, hey, we heard you were looking for us. Like, oh, what? And maybe maybe that's that's the other part of it. So helping them is not only stopping the duke but it's maybe helping them find somewhere else to live. I like that. Or, or 
I'm going to flip it around a little bit more now. Maybe now the Giants are trying to lay claim to the players that they actually want wherever this Duke or Baron lives, because that's actually the real legitimate part of their old Astoria civilization, and they want him evicted. So maybe they have to go between two different decisions on what they would want to do, or or just mm-hmm. finding him somewhere else that they could migrate to. But I think like there needs to be some sort of big climax to the one shot. There always needs to be feel like, oh, okay, well, this is over. It wasn't just like, well, you gave them the keys of their starter home mm-hmm. and they're moving on. Like we want there to be some sort of thing where something big and impactful has happened. You know? Okay. I like that. So the Duke is like, Hey, just calm everything down mm-hmm. and just put, get rid of it. And maybe even could insinuate, like, I don't know if you have to kill things or whatever, but like just the, the real estate is really important. Yes. And then the giants are like, oh my gosh, we're in love and we have this historical claim. And if we do this, everything's going to be great. Because I think then I've definitely played with players, maybe not mm-hmm. entire groups, but players who'd be like, no, let's just go for the money. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I do like that idea of the moral quandary. And also I think as a DM, I think to me, it feels really cool to allow that to some degree mm-hmm. and not to say, oh no, you can't do that or you can't be evil. But rather to say, okay, you, you can definitely march down that road and just complete your mission that is given to you by the Duke, but there would be some pretty uncomfortable moral ramifications for those decisions. Yeah, I would agree. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Uh, and maybe maybe that's the route that you go. So I think that even though you said it's obviously not a combat-based one, I think you need at least one big combat. Oh, heck yeah. Heck yeah. And um, that, so that's the other thing. There's got to be some minions or mm-hmm. some some lesser forces that mm-hmm. could be trying to disrupt this whole effort. Yeah, and so maybe, maybe okay, so you're talking about how there's those players who will definitely take the money route, and, and I can absolutely see that happening. So let's... Love them, shout out to those players. Yeah. Get your gold. Let's make this awkward for them, okay? So if they go that That's route... That's my we'll, favorite we'll, thing that you've said in a very long time. <laughs> <laughs> so if they're going to go the route of being uh, murder hobos, then what they need to do is they need to go and use some sort of poison that was provided by the Duke to kill the fire giant. And then their reward for doing that is they're going to be attacked by the Frost Giant. Frost Giant is a slightly lower CR, so they might be able to take that thing out. But that's their big battle if they go the villainous route. And they also have to oh, feel so like, we map it out. It's like yeah, yeah. option A, this is what would happen. Yes, option A. You always need several options in one yeah. shot okay. because you never know what they're going to do. And so their, their struggle is going to be the fact that you are also going to present to them at, before they go and try and poison that these two people are just in love they're really not they're not typical giants they don't want to go and hack people to pieces with weapons or eat them they they are they are done they just want to live their life outside of their own societies and then then you can tell them okay now go kill that fire giant okay so you have to present them as very sympathetic then yes you have to make them make the decisions it's not not yeah yeah. Yeah. and then if they do it it's like oh okay cool like this is a weepy death scene where one is just devastated. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that. Now I'm going to turn on this head and see, I, I don't like to reward that kind of behavior. So I want that to be, I guess, maybe the, the lesser of the two endings. Okay? okay. I think the better ending is if they choose to help the giants and evict the Duke of the Baron. They actually will go back with the giants and assault the keep that he lives in and have a really epic battle there. Okay. I, I prefer that as well. But I do like the idea that you could leave it open-ended. You know, yes. like it doesn't have to be that. But I know you love a good assault of a keep. Thinking about the last dragon. Oh, yeah. 
if you have for those listening if you haven't listened to our the last dragon episode aaron makes an amazing case why this is the ultimate one-shot structure <laughs> indeed and i i think that the keep part is a big part of it and like i said one shots have to be bombastic they not that they have to be like all action but it has to feel momentous again campaigns could be you could have an, an entire session over just sitting here and talking about managing your own keep and oh, i've done it you know and so they don't, doesn't have to go anywhere but this has to start and yeah. this has to end in yeah. a single session right okay i love that and there's another thing that i've been meaning to ask you you keep saying astoria mm -hmm. and I, I actually am embarrassed to say this but i don't know that what that word means yeah it's it's actually pronounced well i'm trying it's astoria uh, because it's uh, with an o but uh, essentially it, it took up like a huge portion of Faerun a long time ago before there were any humans around ah uh, so this is actually a historical setting within the world of Faerun. yes and so there are still like this hope uh, against hope that essentially the the head of all giants is going to have a second coming it is a very weird christ-like tale about how the giants like lore is set up in the story and then they're going to bring back the civilization of astoria back you know to its full glory and glamour after they essentially had a, a pyrrhic victory against the dragons uh, a long time ago but it pretty much destroyed their civilization so it, it, all of faerun kind of exists around being built on the old dead gods and and their lands so okay i love it now the other thing that i think i'm really intimidated about mm -hmm. is balancing encounters yes and i'm i'm thinking of the time when i ran a one shot and i put a bugbear chief because mm -hmm. it sounded cool and it sounded like well obviously there's a bugbear chief and he dealt enough damage in one blow to just drop your character and i remember <laughs> you like tilted your head and you're like a bugbear chief in a level one dungeon okay and I, I just had this moment of like, oh God, I should not have done that. But I didn't, I, I didn't use any math or anything like that. I, I was more just thinking like there would be a chief. Mm -hmm. And so yeah. that is a part that makes me nervous because that, you know, your sure. math, like I just, oh, yeah. it's hard. Well, okay. So I will, I will give you a tool that I like for this and I would recommend it to other people if they don't know about it, but it's something called Kobold Fight Club. Have you ever used this before? I have never used it, although I have heard of it. Yeah, so essentially it is an encounter generator for you. You can put in what level the players are and then what sort of CR that you were looking for. for and does player count against. matter, I'm assuming, as well? It does, okay. very much so. And so it'll tell you on the surface. Now, bear in mind the CRs, and I know Baron would agree with this, but the CRs, especially given by the Dungeon Master's Guide and their math for figuring them out, is wonky. So you had to figure and it out. See, sorry, just real quick. CR is uh, It's essentially rating. a difficulty level. Yeah, challenge right. rating. Yeah. yeah. So you'll be able to fold it out and go there. I think it's like koboldplus.cub or club or something like that is the URL. But either way, I'll link it in there. It's a, it's a really good tool. But at least you can have an idea of what they could take on at their level and at the expected player count you're going to have. I see. Now, bear in mind, you, you, just because you pick the things doesn't mean that you don't have to change things ad hoc while you're playing right so now that part i do feel comfortable with and i've heard mm -hmm. a lot of advice from you and others where it's like if your players are getting slaughtered have something intervene and if your it players are, are or it could be something else out, yeah. yeah like for example if you're fighting minions this is one of the big tricks that they usually do is that instead of the big bad with their normal level of hit points and abilities and everything else anytime you have minions like a bunch of goblins or a bunch of other stuff they have one hit point each Right. And so it doesn't matter um, what kind of blow that the players land, they're going to kill that minion. Right. And so, so you can run through it. It feels epic and it's fast. But if you also notice 
that maybe they are going into this battle unrested, which they should just like, you know, we heard about like, you know, the idea of you shouldn't necessarily be fully rested before the final fight. You know what I mean? That's a bit silly. That doesn't necessarily happen in movies or stories, but then scale back the encounter. Like for example, if you have, let's say a bunch of mercenaries and some sort of assassin working with them, knock off a couple of mercenaries, don't have them all show up or show up with fewer mercenaries and then other ones show up if it seems like the, the players are like doing this, too good. Yeah, like know? the second wave right. or something like that. Because one of the big things besides the encounter balancing in a one-shot is time balancing. Yes. And so when you are doing this, you need to have more encounters and things to do than you're going to ever run in the game. Mm -hmm. Because you need to be able to either add to their pace if they are going too fast or subtract from it if they're going too slow. Yeah, that's great. And I was thinking about that too. And I think with the structure that, that I have now, this is not going to be as challenging, but mm -hmm. I think that there should be some sort of a clock ticking. And now I'm thinking about monster of the week in terms of pacing, right? And how at a certain point and the way I would think about it in a one shot is like, okay, maybe 30 minutes before I I'm planning that we're going to end. I need the thing has to happen. Yes. That starts the epic battle. And it's like, okay, if they're back in the end drinking beers, then I'm going to mm -hmm. bring that thing to them. And if not, right. they're gonna, I, I might even like do a time jump to get them to the place where the thing's about to happen. But I agree. There's no, there, it's such an awkward feeling if you're in a one shot and it's like, you know, it's from seven to 10 and it's mm -hmm. 1130 and you're still not even found the bad guy yet. Yeah. And if, if you're at 1130, you failed as a DM in a one yeah. shot. Yeah, I agree. And I, I think you've heard the story, but I've been in a couple of quote unquote one shots that went like six sessions. Right. I was like, well, that's not a one shot. <laughs> right, it's exactly. actually a pretty decent sized campaign. <laughs> and this, again, this goes back to the very first thing I said about don't do this if this is your first time as a DM, because there's more to it than just understanding play balancing and time balancing. It's understanding that, that players are very much squirrel seekers. Yeah. And, but you know, you know what I mean? Where like, it's just like an up where it's like, oh, squirrel. And then they'll launch onto something that you had no idea that they would even care about in the story or in the background. And now you have to do something with that. You now have to create that into some other fiction within your one shot or make it go away or something else. But it has to still move forward, regardless of whatever the players are chasing their tails about at the time. Okay. One thing, and this may be ridiculous of me to harbor this desire. But I think my ultimate end of a one shot would be that it ended first, okay. like I, I did my job, but also I would really want my players to want more mm. to be like, oh my God, what happens next? I like Whether it. or not yeah. I could engage or indulge that, I think to me, that just would be so satisfying. Should mm -hmm. I absolve myself of that? Is that no, not a, okay? Not at all. You should absolutely want to do that because you should write one shots as though you would want to insert them into a, an ongoing campaign you're running. Yeah. One shots can stand alone as something that should exist in one session only, but you can either use it as something that's a springboard for them to say, Hey, you know what? We really, really enjoyed that one shot. How about you start a campaign with everybody and we can have fun with that. Or if you already have a campaign going, you're just randomly writing one shots over time. You can just say, you know, I didn't really do a whole lot of prep for today, but I already have my one shot going that I made a long time ago. Maybe I'll go put I that in. Just insert that. Yeah, that's great. Cool. This is very helpful. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, okay, so I'm gonna throw this in there too. And I, you may already be asking me about this at some point. Mm -hmm. But let's talk about music for a second. I knew yeah, I meant to ask you that at the beginning, because I know that you're so passionate about music and you're a big advocate of music helps you with the theme and the tone and everything. Mm, yeah. Okay, so he, see here's what I'm doing right here. So 
first of all, I'm going to tell you the music I'm thinking about, but as I was thinking about the music I was going to recommend, I also thought about a possible plot change. Okay. Interesting. All right. Okay. And this is how one shot should work when you're creating them. Don't get, just know the core concept and the things you want to do, and then let your mind kind of change around things so they sound more fun. So I would recommend the soundtrack for Baz Luhrmann's Romeo and Juliet. And more specifically, I really enjoy the song Number One Crush by Garvey. Yes, I know. Okay, I was like kind of on the same vibe with you there. I actually just got chills. But 100%, that's the tone. And mm -hmm. also the, you would use the word earlier, bombastic. Yes. And so I love the idea of like dressing up this world and making it just a little bit outrageous and outlandish. Mm -hmm. So this prince, he's wearing some crazy shit and he has a weird house and there's weird things in it. You know what I mean? Right. Because that's the vibe of that movie, right? Yeah. It's colors. It is. The, it's the, very player, the, the characters are on drugs a lot of time, I think. And it's just, yes. it's wild. Yeah. And so the other thing I thought about when I was thinking about that soundtrack and that song is maybe the prince actually has a, an actual real nefarious motive separate from his stupid land grab idea right. is that he right. actually has a crush on the frost giant. And he wants to kill the fire giant in order to have his way with the frost giant. And it was the number one crush. Was that like, yeah, yeah, you... just, yeah. Also how ridiculous that the, I'm assuming some sort of humanoid. <laughs> yes. He's just a, a regular human. Yeah. Like what, like, what are you going to do with the giant? <laughs> if you, if you get them, <laughs> I guess he's like Tormund's giant's bane. I don't know. Yeah. Like... <laughs> oh my God. I like that. And I, and actually that feels like something that could or could not be inserted depending right. on. What yes. Things... You can still go with the original theme that you have there. And if for somehow, again, from a standpoint of either uh, time with pacing, or if it seems like the players are just kind of moving through the story too much, like there's not enough content there, give them that. And so it's one more moral quandary they have to deal with of them being like, you know, assassins for some guy's fetish. Yeah. Yeah. So if they want, if they start wanting to do Intel on the Prince. Yes. Then they could talk to, you know, one of his staff or someone in town or someone right. in some dirt and uncover some of these details yeah That'd so great now that we have a lot of this out there let's just go through some steps here and that way you can then flesh out the other parts of it so let's sure. start off what's our call to action the prince hires this group to solve a problem and i yeah. like that it's it's seemingly a silly problem like the land grab but that it potentially has something deeper behind it okay perfect another thing i'm going to throw on here as a side note do not have your players meet each other in a one shot that takes too much time that's that's more of a fun thing for a campaign they already know each other when they're starting they can go and start before the game begins to introduce their characters around the table if they haven't used them before okay. but you are a cohesive unit by the time this starts i love it could i even have them one foot in the action in media res so to speak where it's like okay you've already agreed to do this thing you're staking out something Mm -hmm. And then just like fast forward right to the action. Because if they don't do that, then it's not a thing anyway. Because yeah, I, I just maybe... had an, I've been enough one shots and at the beginnings of campaigns where one player will be like, well, I don't want to do that. Okay. And then it's yeah. like, well, dude, why are you, why are you here at the table with us? Well, like, sure. go watch well, TV. Yeah, let's, let's, let's make the call to action a little bit more dangerous. So you're, you're going into the story with them having this information about this noble and, and his mission. And then. Partway through this meeting where they're deciding yay or nay, the frost giant, who they may or may not be able to see, is like lobbing boulders at the keep out of anger. Mm -hmm. And and it's, it's almost like a, a dad, right? It's like it's like a hit and run. Like th this guy doesn't like, you know, the the noble person interfering with things. So they are actively needing to dodge boulders that are being thrown at them just to start off the game. 
They're not going to fight. Okay, anything. so that, there's your combat right there, right? Yes. And it's the, more of a defensive mechanic. Yes, but I can so see they can like, roll like you know acrobatics or something else to try and move out of the way of the yeah. boulder so they don't get hit by them. And for whatever reason, the the giant is going to get away without them being able to confront it. Okay, which is realistic. I could, yes. It's hard to imagine that they're going to, in a foot pursuit, get over to the giant. And then also, if they get to the right. giant, he's just going to kick them. Yes. And I'm sure that <laughs> any of the guards, you're right, any of the guards that the noble person would have are all going to be, you know, like peeing themselves anyway because yeah, the giant's showing up hucking boulders at people. Uh, so. I love that. Okay, so that's a great opening scene. It's thrilling. It's mm -hmm. it's different. Like the, the way, you, as you were describing, I was like, oh, I've never done anything like that. Indeed. Right. Before. It's like kind yeah. of a castle siege, but also not. But also, it's just a giant who's so upset, which I think may induce in some of the characters, maybe maybe characters that are built to be more intuitive and emotional mm -hmm. based druids or something like that, who may be like, I actually want to know why this guy's so pissed. Right. You know what I mean? Like, I know he's being violent, but I, I'm or, or she, but I'm I'm just like trying to understand like why, and then that could already incentivize them to seek different information and understand an alternate theory for what's happening yeah and then and then you can then offer more stuff like you for example if the money that they're getting at the initial onset from the noble person isn't enough by the time he's seen all these boulders hucked his way maybe now he's like i'll double it whatever it is just take care of it so, you know sort of like thing. you see yeah and and then you and then the the players are clearly understanding the stakes involved because i think right. that was what was missing before it's yes, like oh you know things are weird so yeah, the the real estate pricing or whatever that's going to be is suddenly fades into the background. It could be stated early on, but as soon as the boulders start flying, it's clear like this isn't going to work. Right. There's a lot of lives in danger. So even if you were thinking no on this mission, you're going to do it now. Right. And seeing what happened. And, and one of the things I like too is like to think about the stuff that you're throwing out there, literally, and then how that can affect what the player's going to decide to do. Like for example, if I'm, I'm thinking about this, I'm a, I also have to imagine especially as a one-shot creator, what the players are going to do in every moment of the game. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to imagine if they're at some noble's keep, they're going to immediately ask, oh, we have horses or something like this, just make, the, make this easier for them. Mm -hmm. So he goes out to give them a horse and like the whole like stable is destroyed by boulders. It's just filled with dead horses, right? <laughs> I mean, just like, or they all ran away or something, you know, just yeah. something where like it should, they shouldn't get like, I don't know, cliff notes to a game. It's like, you play the game with what you have. And, right. and so yeah. don't try and metagame or work around it. And so you can take the things that are happening in the game to make it, I think, more funny. So it's not necessarily a no, but it's also sort of a, you know, you're not going to do that, but it's funny that you're not doing it. Yeah. yeah. And also it kind of, for me, this idea dovetails into your prescription for adding elements of horror. And mm -hmm. I don't foresee this transforming into anything like that. But what I do like about that is there's a timeline and there's things that have to happen in order and resting and diverting isn't one of them. Right. So if the, immediately the horses are denied and then you see the giant running in a particular direction, maybe that town's over the ridge and you're just not sure what's going to happen. You're, what I'm thinking is try to incentivize them to move forward with mm -hmm. that rather than say, oh, well, you know, in my backstory, my cousin lives 16 miles that way. So let's go get some horses from him. Right. And then on top of that, whenever they are going to rest, because you do need to give them at least a couple of rests. Whenever they do, you need to make their rest dangerous and they need to feel dangerous. And sometimes it doesn't have to necessarily be an actual confrontation, but it's something weird and disgusting or disturbing that happens. And they don't want to rest because let's say they, you know, that happens and now they're on guard for the next night. And the next night you do actually attack them with something, whatever it is. Maybe there's random bugbears in the, in the woods running around or an owl bear or just something that 
they have to deal with out of nowhere that it's been kind of presaged. And that's the other thing too, is that you, you can give them hints along the way that every time they take a rest, that there's something that's a, going to unfold in one of these rests that you're not paying enough attention to. Like maybe this growl of an owl bear that they're hearing, but not seeing, or weird shaking in the trees, or just like this primal smell and fear around them. And then eventually it shows up because they're just, they're taking too many rests. So like now you're not going to want to rest because you're going to get eaten by an owl bear. Right. Or you have to be really, really selective about where you're going to rest. Yes. You don't just go. Not oh, everybody well, we can know- rest. Some, some yeah. people need to be on guard. Yeah. Or I've had this a lot in like a dungeon setting where it's like, okay, we know the bad guys in that room. Can we just sleep? It's like, really? There's right. a door. <laughs> <laughs> what if the bad guy just comes out to use the restroom? You're all dead. <laughs> like maybe that's not a good idea. Okay. So uh, now we have a call to action. Um, let's figure out our locations. What locations need to exist near? We only need like three or four main primary locations and the players may invent some other ones they want to go visit. Like I'd like to go see the town blacksmith or whatever it is there. But um, what are the main three places they're going to visit possibly? Uh, okay. So the keep, obviously okay. it's where it starts and potentially ends. Yes. And you have also a good cardboard for that too. If you were doing I do. one job. Yeah. I do. Thank you for mentioning my <laughs> terrain that's been sitting in the other room unused for way too long. Now you have a reason for it. It's going to be great. Okay. And then also you had mentioned a couple times early on in the conversation, and I, I found it a very evocative thought of some sort of ruined place mm-hmm. or I forget what it's called in Game of Thrones. Heron Hall, maybe it's the destroyed oh, yeah, the, castle. Yeah, the destroyed castle. Yeah, it could be something, yeah, like that. So, it, something like that. That that sort of evokes a, a long history, but that's also dreary and sad, kind of like the state of their love. Yeah, I would agree. Maybe it's again like some sort of old giant citadel, or even just church that you know that they would go to for any sort of celebrations of matrimony or yeah. being a giant or whatever. It yeah, is. some it, sort of place that is now dead right and yeah, exactly dead. and and decrepit and yes creepy right? and they clearly don't want to stay there um yeah. but they, they have nowhere else to go yes oh man this is so good okay and then i think some sort of a town where they could have basic interactions i know they're going to want to shop they're going to get intel so True. maybe maybe the keep has a, i'm thinking downton abbey here uh, yeah, but yeah. like the whole town exists to serve the abbey, basically. Yes. You know what I mean? So maybe that's there's all a, like, medieval a, times anyway. Yeah. So that'd be an, fine. Ancil- an ancillary little town. And then yeah. you could put whatever was reasonable, right? So there's a blacksmith, right. there's a baker, there's a stable, there's things like that. And, and that's where you can have interactions and exposition for the players to help them understand what they're doing. That the people in town may know about giant culture or the giant ruins. They yeah. may know that the keep is actually built on an old giant ruin that is actually very sacred, even more so than that dead. But don't just have it be, you know, I mean, you're familiar, obviously, with film, uh, with all your studies, mm-hmm. but, you know, it's show, don't tell. So right. maybe they get into the tavern and there's two people arguing over the nobleman, right? They're hearing the conversation. It's not overly expository, but at least it's giving them a foot in the door for something to talk about so they understand maybe a little bit yeah. more. Yeah, that's good advice. And I think the the cringiest way to do this in my mind is have sort of blank template npcs just i'm, I'm imagining how they're just sort of weirdly standing there like yeah, right, game, right. and they have a little light over their head yeah and it's like well, hello traveler did well, you know yeah. <laughs> that gary the prince is evil no that's silly because in a one shot especially the person who's going to tell them the exposition is the person they go talk to that's who doesn't matter who it is yeah, it yeah. doesn't matter if it's the town's midwife coming. 
it yeah. doesn't matter if it's the blacksmith, whoever they choose to talk to is the person who's giving them that information. Right. Because timing is everything because yes. we need to be back. We need to sort of be backdating our timeline to make sure that we hit the right note at the end of the one shot. Right. And you have to keep driving always, always, always. So if they are too long in town, find a reason for them to get the hell out of town. Yeah. Okay. There has and, to be and some so, call to action again to keep moving. They cannot stay yeah. in one place. Yeah. And so we do have, I'm writing this down too, but this, the, the angry giant who can huck things. Yes. And also this sort of not yet determined other group of ruffians or mercenaries or something mm -hmm. that can present a little bit more of a viable balanced combat encounter. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah. And I actually like the idea of maybe it's not clear who they are or what they are. And maybe no, it doesn't really like, matter. Hood, yeah, hooded, hooded men or hooded yeah. somethings that just are somehow menacing mm -hmm. or, or protecting something, you know what I mean? So it's like right. not clear, but also we're in a fight here. So the, the only thing I would tack on to that is if you are going to use them, mm -hmm. they either need to be cartoonishly neutral where you can tell that they have nothing to do with anything at all, that they're just, I don't know, some guy saying, hey, give me your money sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Or if you are going to go to this mysterious route, you have to write it into the story because players will not let that go. I Even see. if it has nothing to do with your story, if they see mysterious people show up, that is They're the story for them. I see. Okay. So I, I really just do need to sort of nestle and build this in somehow. Yes. And what I would do is I would actually probably put them on an encounter table. You need to make a good encounter table of 10 random things. They, when by encounter, I don't mean battles. Right. Now this can be a battle. But encounter just means something that they encounter, literally anything. It could be yeah. that they find like maybe evidence of thrown boulders recently on the side of the road and a dead deer or a deer that yeah. was eaten in half because, you know, giants yeah. do have big appetites. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I like the idea too, that they don't have to fight these guys. These guys could have some kind of uh, agenda, but yes. I know a lot of times players are like, oh, I'm going to disguise self and I'm going to, you know what I mean? It's like, I right. think those are just as fun, sometimes more fun than just a straight out battle. Right. Agreed. Cool. Okay. Okay. So I can work that out, you know, and, and get them connected to the story. And I think it's important whenever you're doing that to also understand how far away everything is. Okay. So, Just I mean, you, you can do it on the fly if you want, but it would be better if you do know ahead of time. Yeah, and just that, doing like a, because you know I love making maps. So just like a, right. like a eight and a half by 11 overhead map mm -hmm. of the basic geography of this place. Right. Okay. And then... You know, like, for example, I've had my one shot I did with the giant void walker that was the end of the battle, right? Yeah. But the way that you got to that is there were multiple locations you had to stop at that essentially allowed you to get closer to doing that. Like yeah. whether you're fighting off a wyvern or dealing with ogres and trying to run through a portal. Those are all things that were happening in that game. The difference between this one and that one is that there is a point A to B to A. So it's not just like it's going to end on, you know, the end of the alphabet. You actually have to return back to the beginning at the end. Which I so, love from a, yeah. from a structural perspective, like a narrative structure perspective. That's actually kind of cool. Right. So let's say act one takes place in A, which is going to be the, the keep and then also the area around the keep. Yeah. B is going to be in the deadlands, the giant deadlands. A is going to be back at the keep, whatever that means. Mm -hmm. And it, it doesn't have to end when the player's... If they decide to go the bad route, decide to poison the giant. It's that something else happens when they get back to the, like they've, they're just bloodied and battered. And all of a sudden now they're betrayed again by the nobleman for having done anything, you know? Yeah. Or maybe the giants come back strong, right? Yeah. Like yeah. You killed, you killed one of us. So now we're here to like really take revenge. Yeah. Very much like a, let's say a cabin in the woods feel, you know, where they're yeah. trying to prevent the ultimate apocalypse from happening. So 
if you go and kill like for example a fire giant well now you're going to have like a whole swath of fire giants just destroying the countryside out of absolute anger and also because if they just made a new axe they want to try out so you know it's, it's whatever they want it to be aaron this is so cool yeah Thank go ahead you. is there any, ahead. is there is there any other main components because I, I feel really excited right now to write and, right. and armed with the structure that i was lacking i think i had some good ideas that, that I was feeling passionate about, but they felt like free floating blobs in the air. And mm -hmm. now I feel like I've actually got a cool little structure to sort of snap them into place. That's great. But is there um, any other main pieces I'm missing here? Uh, the only other thing I would say is that you're going to have to take your noble person mm -hmm. and you're going to have to build a character sheet for them. Okay. Because if there's a chance in this game that anyone could kill a single NPC they run into, you have to build a character sheet for them. Outside of them just being a regular townsperson, and they just get hit with a sword once and die. Yeah. But, now, are there are there sort of templates that I could use, or do I actually just go into D and D Beyond or use the, the players? I would just I would just bit. make a character. Okay. You can even do roll twenty. Roll twenty makes it well. Now that would be a little more complicated because you can make NPCs in roll twenty, and that way they have more of an abbreviated character sheet, just like you'd see in the monster manual. Mm -hmm. But you do have to know a little bit about what you want to do from a stat perspective. So that's only why it's a little more complicated. But I would probably put this noble person maybe at a level below them. So even though, you know, they're wealthy, they're not necessarily going to go and, you know, kick butt necessarily. And then maybe if you want, maybe give them an item to find along the way that makes their journey a little bit easier yeah, or more difficult. I, I was thinking about that too. So is it, it necessarily a magic item or how, how do you think about that? Yeah, it would be a magic item of some kind. And, but... You can decide whether you want it to be a cursed magic item or just a general beneficial magic item or both. It's always fun when it's complex. They don't know it's cursed, but it also helps them and then also hinders yeah. them. So. Yeah, and it and definitely makes the story or their quest easier, but then has some possibly even comic effect. Yes. Those like are you always glow great. green for two hours after you use this thing. <laughs> yeah, though, I mean, that's like, like the suit of armor that I made for Strahd that our paladin decided that he would take as a gift from Estrad for some reason. And then that suit of armor then became animated whenever Estrad wanted to as a one-time effect. And of course he turned it on like during like the final battle. And so the, the paladins attacking all of their compatriots. Um, and you can't actually detect when something's cursed. You just have to know that it's cursed and then you can cast remove curse. Interesting. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, this is so helpful. I, and I will say, even though I know this was my idea and I came to you and I said, I, I want to do this. I didn't think that I would feel this far along the process of actually writing it down and running it. Great. Yeah. I'm, I'm know, looking I, forward I, to playing the game, even if I know how it's going to go. Yeah. Well, or at least being there to watch. So. Yeah. We're good at that. No, I would love for you to play too and sort of feel, feel your way through it. Right. But yeah, it feels within reach now. Whereas before it felt like just ideas floating in the air and I couldn't capture them and get them down. So this has been incredible. Yeah, absolutely. And I would say in closing, if you are listening to this and you want to make your own thing because you have something like Brian is talking about where you just have a concept in your in your head of something that you think is cool, run with that. Find those same questions that I started asking of, okay, that's great. How do you want it to end? Okay, now that you know that, how do you want it to begin? And then how do you want to fill out the in-between parts? And then once you have that, then you can then expand beyond that. And then don't feel afraid to constantly re-envision what you're looking for because you just have a concept and a feeling and a desire to make a really cool game. And so you should do that and then change accordingly. Yeah. And I will say, Aaron, the, the one thing that you've done here that I think is the coolest is the music vibe. Mm, thank you. You know, because it's like thematically, what am I going for? And I, and I feel like as a writer, sometimes you lose it 
along the way. You, lo- mm-hmm. you start to lose yourself in the structure of of sentences or the structure of plot, and you maybe like got too far away from it. So the idea of like picking a song or a vibe and then re-infusing it, yeah, is so cool to me. Yeah, and I would, and I, and my my last closing thing on that point would be listen to that music and then write your narrative prompts for the players around it. So for example, if you know it's a bombastic land, listen to the music and then write the introduction to the town as they're seeing it through the music you're hearing in your ears. Bombastic land. Damn, that's good. (laughs) Amazing. Well, Aaron, thanks again for working with me on this. This was incredibly helpful and very fun. And dear listeners, I hope you can say the same. I hope that this helps you get some structure to your ideas, get it on paper and get it on your table. So thanks again for listening. Please check us out on Instagram or at our website, infernalschoolhouse.com. Oh, and we sell stuff on Etsy too. This week we're featuring our fireball apron. If you enjoy casting spells in the kitchen or perhaps in the grill out back, this apron will ensure that those near you know you're both a gamer and you wield cooking fire. Thanks everybody. Thank you for listening.